Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we are blessed just to be here, Lord God, to be counted a part of your family. Lord, we're blessed uh, to have friends and, and family and fellowship in the Spirit, Lord God, uh, that though we may not have, uh, Lord, even family members who know you, Lord, it, being called into your family uh, where the Holy Spirit's present, Lord God, we have fellowship that is greater than the fellowship that's found in the world, Lord God. Your Spirit knits us together. Your Spirit uh, bonds us together, Lord, and we belong to this organization, the only organization that will last for all eternity, and that's the Church of Jesus Christ. And so we're blessed, God, in that regard. We're blessed to have Your Word guide and direct us. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. Lord, the Bible, Your Word, is what gives us instructions for how to live life. And so we look to it again tonight as the authority for truth, uh, as, as the authority that's come from You, Lord, that this is God-breathed. And so we look to it with reverence and respect. We look to it, Lord, for guidance uh, and for instruction in how we should live our lives. So we thank You for it and we pray for Your blessing on tonight's study. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 41 Guys, Joseph finally gets a break. Finally, right? It's just been, it's grown worse and worse and worse for Joseph. He jumps out of the frying pan into the fire, right? And it's kind of been like a hard story to listen to because Joseph's done really nothing to merit all the wrong that's been done to him. But tonight we finally see things turn around and it feels good. It felt good to prepare this message this week. Like, yes, my man Joseph finally gets a little bit of, you know, upside to his story. Joseph, what happened though, uh, last chapter, is we saw him get a, a chance finally to interact with somebody who could get an, give him an open door and get him out of prison. It was, the, it was Pharaoh's butler, the chief cup bearer. And Joseph had this, he had the dream and Joseph was able to interpret his dream. And he said, hey, look, you're going to be a free man. You're going to get out of here and be restored to your service in Pharaoh. And when you do, please tell Pharaoh to get me out of here because I don't belong to being here. And of course, last chapter ended, the chapter ended by saying the chief butler forgot Joseph. And we're like, man, this chapter starts by saying two years later, two years later, finally something starts to change. And we talked about how we had to wait two years after that seeming open door was presented to him by the Lord. However, we're going to see here that God used the two years to stage this scenario for Joseph so perfectly that he's exalted. He goes from prisoner in the dungeon to ruler of the land in less than 24 hours. And that was the work God was doing in those two years. So let's see how this unfolds. Verse 1, it says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on the stalk. 
And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So God gives Pharaoh these troubling dreams. How do we know it was from God? Joseph's about to say so in just a few verses here. Now, it's been noted that in the ancient Egyptian culture, dreams were very significant. They were, they were actually perceived to be oracles from the gods. In fact, the dreams were the primary, the best way to receive divine revelation. So they would do things to try and like provoke weird dreams and provoke crazy dreams. And they were given great spiritual emphasis. We saw this last chapter with the, bear, with the butler and the baker and their dreams. How, man, they had these crazy dreams and they didn't just think, oh wow, that was weird. What a coincidence. No, they were like, there's something significant to these dreams. We have to have it interpreted. It's because that was the custom of Egypt. You had a crazy dream, you went to your neighborhood psychic, your neighborhood enchanter, and and allowed them to interpret the dreams to see what the gods were telling you. And of course, they were distraught because they were in prison. They had no one to interpret the dreams. But what's interesting to me about this is that God comes to Pharaoh right where he's at. He meets Pharaoh right where he's at in the midst of this polytheistic, superstitious culture that over-spiritualizes dreams. And he speaks to him with a dream. I find that interesting. He knows how to get Pharaoh's attention. He knows how to intervene and interrupt Pharaoh's life to start directing Pharaoh. And it reminded me of Proverbs 21, verse 1, which says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God takes Pharaoh's heart right here to turn it. God's like, I am intervening here. And I'm going to intervene with regards to this king. And I'm going to direct him. And I want to tell you guys, man, I would love to see God do a little more intervening in the president's heart in the day and age that we're living because our nation is headed in a really bad direction. In fact, we're there. And it's only getting worse. I would love to see God like supernaturally give the president a crazy dream to where all of a sudden he wanted to honor the Bible. Because he really does it. He does not want to honor the Bible. It's very clear. And if God wanted to intervene and, and turn things around, you, you know He could do that, right? That the king's heart is in the, is in the hand of the Lord. And He could do that. And I think we have to realize if God chooses not to intervene in such a way, then He has good reason for that as well. We don't know what it is. But I mean, look at, look at the big picture here for Egypt. God is directing Pharaoh's heart not merely to get Joseph out of jail. You might like be focused in on this story with Joseph and like, yeah, he's going jo- to deliver Joseph. No, no. God is not intervening with Pharaoh simply to get Joseph into a more comfortable position. He's intervening. Why? So he can set Joseph in, in a prominent position so he can bring his nation into a safe place where they could grow and be fruitful and multiply where one day they would grow so great in number that they would be exiled out of the land of Egypt, 
back into the promised land where they would be fruitful and multiply for the sake of one day being under oppression of the Roman Empire so that Jesus Christ could be born and die on a cross for the sins of the world and save mankind. That is why God is intervening with Pharaoh. Because it's, a, it's an integral part of the plan of salvation. You see, God's end game is to save souls. And whether the circumstances that come about are good or bad or whatever, He's going to use those circumstances to save more souls. That's, God's, that's the heart of God. And it is. It's hard to watch right now the direction the, the world is headed with regards to religious freedoms just being squashed and persecution all over the world is just, is just rampant now. Um, it's, it's amazing to me how the militants out there who want to persecute other faiths, particularly uh, Christians in their, in their nations, it's really quiet when you have a, a presidency who honors religious freedom. But when it's apparent that there's, there's an office, there's someone in office who does not really fight for religious freedom, persecution blows up around the world. It, it is a direct result, and we, we see it right now in this presidency. And it's hard, guys. It's, it's really difficult to watch. But, guys, if God allows it to happen, then it will re- ultimately result in salvation for people. Salvation of souls. And, and who are we, right, T- to know the mind of God? But maybe... Maybe God wants to let the world have, a fill, have their fill of sin. Maybe God wants to let America see what a godless nation looks like in 50 years so that they could see it leads to destruction and corruption and unfulfillment. And it leads to destitution. In fact, I was, I was thinking and considering this. A kid who grows up in a Christian home, even if their parents don't necessarily honor the Lord all the time, there's this foundation of truth that's being pointed to for that kid. And when that kid wants to rebel, they're like, I'm out of here. You know what they have to do? They have to get rid of truth to be comfortable in the lies that they live in. And, and a lot of kids do this. They'll, they'll, they'll run off into, into the world and they'll start to believe in relativism. Well, that's your truth. That's fine for you. I'm glad Jesus works for you. But I have my own truths over here and this makes me feel good. Relativism, right? That's what they have to do. They, have to, they literally have to get rid of the truth in their life before they can run off into rebellion. Think about the generation that comes after this godless generation. When they want to rebel from their ungodly parents, how easy will it be for them to run to the truth? For them to see, man, this generation that has gone before me has messed things up and and they've lived a lie. And I have found the truth. Imagine the revival that could take place post the direction of where this country is headed. Maybe God is moving in that direction. Maybe God desires a season of persecution for the church so that we really examine ourselves, so that the church is refined, so that we would be purified back and become a healthy church again that's not distracted with the American dream and, and all, these, all the things of the world that take us off the focus of the kingdom of God. Maybe God wants to allow that to happen. Who are we? But what, what I know is every circumstance God will use for the salvation of souls And the bottom line is this, that God is sovereign and will accomplish His will. He is sovereign over our nation and our land just as much as He was sovereign over Egypt. 
just as much as he was sovereign over Pharaoh. God meets Pharaoh right where he's at because he's going to steer Pharaoh's heart to do what he wants him to do. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. All of a sudden, light bulb. Oh, wait, you had a crazy dream, Pharaoh? Wait a minute, that reminds me. Oh, two years later. You're killing me, butler. Come on, man. When the Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young man, a Hebrew, was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. It came true, what he said. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So two years of waiting for this phone call, proverbial phone call, um, from the butler, and finally it comes. And all of a sudden, just like that, Joseph is standing before Pharaoh. The door is open. He has his chance. He's clean. He's got some fresh clothes on. And he's literally standing before the ruler of the land. Pastor Robert, one of the things he says a lot and that I, I like is that life turns on a dime. Life turns on a dime. In other words, we could be heading in, in such a one direction so steadily, but then all of a sudden life will take a turn, good or bad, and, and things are never the same. Life, li- your, your life right now, it seems pretty predictable, but there are events that happen in life that change everything, and they happen in a moment. James, the book of James warns us of this information, warns us to not be presumptuous to take for granted our life and our path and our expectations. In fact, in James, he says, don't say to yourself, well, I'm going to go to this town and buy and sell and make a profit. And I'm going to, you know, don't, don't be so bold with all of your plans and confident in your plans for your life. James says, instead, say, if the Lord wills, we will do this. If the Lord wills, we'll do that. Now, I've known some like hyper-spiritual people who won't say any, they won't even say, I'll see you tomorrow without being like, Lord willing, Lord willing, which is, which is fine, you know, that's okay. But I'm not so sure it meant you have to say that phrase just to cover your base. But really what it, what it means is you need to be open-handed with your plans. You, we, need to, we should have an understanding that God reserves the right to make any changes He sees fit in our life at any moment. And that's why it's so, so important, guys, that we don't live for our own dreams and expectations. It's okay to have dreams and expectations, but hold them loosely. Make your chief aim every day to say, God, what do you want for me today? Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, what direction do you want me to take? What path, what job do you want me? Who do you want me to marry? Have your, hold your expectations loosely and seek the Lord's will. And I want to tell you guys, Joseph made it to this point successfully. It took 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. And you know why Joseph survived? Do you know why he made it through? It wasn't because he was a positive thinker. That wasn't it. It's because Joseph, every day, kept his focus on the Lord's plans and purposes 
and not on his own expectations. If Joseph was clinging to his expectations, he would have been a wreck the minute he was thrown into that pit. Oh, the, God, God's promises are over. I'm done. My life is over. No. Joseph clung to the Lord's plans and purposes in every circumstance. And let me tell you, if things do get real crazy in this country, particularly against Christians, and let's say it becomes illegal for you to be a Christian, being a positive thinker is not going to get you through that. Buckling under pressure is not going to get you through that. Trusting that God has a plan and purpose for every trial in your life. And following that, that's what's going to get you through it. That's what's going to cause you to endure. We see Joseph finally standing now before Pharaoh after 13 years of waiting for this moment. Verse 15, it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh comes up to Joseph. He's like, hey, I heard you have this amazing ability to interpret dreams. You know, and, and you know we, we emphasize dreams as spiritual. And just so happens, I, I don't have anyone in the land who can actually do this for me anymore. The, there's a job opening for dream interpreter for the, for the Pharaoh. And I heard you're the man. Like, you're awesome. And Joseph could have been like, well, you know, I have interpreted a dream or two. You know, and, uh, you know, I had some special dreams of my own early on. In fact, you could call me like a dream master, master of dreams. We could make business cards. You know, I'll be the dream master. No, he didn't, he didn't go down that road, right? He said, no, no, no. If, if your dream's going to be interpreted, God is going to do it. He's like, I, don't, I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart, but God does. God sees your heart. God knows everything about you. He says, Pharaoh... If you want a favorable answer, let it come from the Lord. And of course, we see right away that's humility. Joseph is refusing to take credit for God's gifting in his life, for God's work in his life. And that's commendable. We should model that, that humility. In fact, that's a trait that God desires to use greatly. That's a trait that God uses in great ways, is humility in your life. Not seeking your own glory. Not all about you. Not about your own status and how you're perceived by others. But setting yourself aside and, and allowing God to be glorified in your life. That is a, is a place where you will be exalted by the Lord. But I think it's more than just humility here. In fact, we can kind of get into this mindset right in our Christian, uh, our, our, our Christianese when we're hanging out and someone's like, hey, you did a really good job. And we're like, oh, praise the Lord. Right? Give glory to God, not me, you know, and, and there's kind of, there can be a false humility with that too, right? Like, I want to appear to be humble, so whenever someone compliments me, I'm going to stop them and say, no, you give glory to God. It's, I'm just a message, you know what I mean? It's like, we can get a little bit of false humility going down that road as well. And by the way, side note, if people take the time to stop and encourage you, just say thank you. Like, just say, hey, thanks for that encouragement. I appreciate that. You're not taking glory from God. If they fall down and worship you, then you should probably do something about that. Smack them. Get up. So, but it's more than, this isn't false humility on Joseph's part. And it's not simply saying, oh, well, you know, it's the Lord. But what he's also doing here is he's passing the buck. He's saying, whoa, Pharaoh, that's high expectations on me. Put those expectations on God. God's the one that's going to do this, Okay. 
So let this responsibility be in God's hands. And in putting the responsibility in God's hands, you know what he's doing? The, the prophecy, the revelation that will come from the interpretation, it will not be merely Joseph's authority. It will be the, the authority of God. When that prophetic word comes forth for that dream, it will have the power of the authority of God behind it, not merely a man's interpretation. And guess what? God will be the one who gets the glory when it comes to pass. Not Joseph. Not the dream of uh, master of dreams. Right? Wasn't there a movie about him? Like Prince of Dreams or something like that? Yeah. It, it'd, be God. it'd be God who got the glory for it. And I think that a lot of preachers and teachers in our day and age could learn a thing or two from Joseph here. My, myself included. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that no Scripture that we have was given to us by a prophet's own interpretation. In other words, the Bible that you have in your laps that you get access to and get to read, you're so fortunate, by the way, to be able to do that. None of the words that you're reading uh, was the work of like a, a man who's like, man, I just feel super spiritual today. I have a lot of good, happy thoughts. I'm going to write them all down. That's not your Bible. Like It wasn't like a guy who got all spiritual one day and decided he was going to write some poetry or write some, make up some stories. No, it says that no Scripture is given by the prophet's own interpretation, but rather holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a prophet's own interpretation. And I think that as we get up in our pulpits, as preachers get up in their pulpits, I think we would do a lot better if we simply let the Word of God speak for itself and, and, not, and not come up here with our own you know, fancy analogies and ideas and motivational speeches, but rather look to the authority of God's Word. Because when you teach the, the Word of God and say, hey, this is, this is what the Bible says, when I effectively do that, then you realize this isn't Sean's ideas. This isn't merely Sean's interpretation of how I should live my life. This is what the Word of God says. And guess what? At that point, it's not my authority that's instructing you. It's the authority of God being spoken into your life. How much more dynamic is that? And guess who gets the glory? God does. Not me. Because this isn't my invention. This wasn't my idea. I'm just trying to live it like you guys are. I get to be the one to talk about it a little more. And now I've followed, there's a lot of, there's a big emphasis on flashy preachers in this day and age in our country with, with sermon on demand. You can get on and watch any pastor you want, you know, and there's a lot of very, very gifted uh, pastors and teachers, way more gifted than myself. And I've followed some of these guys in their ministries. I've gone through series with them and everything. And, and I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed is that number one, I'm, I'm amazed at their level of gifting. But at the same time, I, so often I feel like I, I walk away from a sermon from them and I feel like there's just a lack of authority of God coming from what they're saying. What they're saying maybe is even good and true, but I, I just feel hungry for God's Word when it's, it's all them and their ideas, when they've processed the Word of God so much that they don't connect us to the Word of God with what they're saying. They don't read it from the Bible and says, this is what God is saying. I feel hungry after that. I feel, I feel motivated 
I feel entertained even because they're, a lot of them are funny and flashy and they can really get you excited, but I feel hungry for the Word of God. How much better if we just stick with the Word? Maybe it's not as fun to watch. Maybe you don't want to go Netflix binge on a, on a verse-by-verse Bible teacher. Maybe you do. Hopefully you do. But man, that is where God gets the glory and that is where the authority of God is spoken into your life. So we do well to learn from Joseph. Joseph's like, it's not me. This is what God is going to tell you. So verses 17 through 24, uh, he based, Pharaoh ex- explains the dream to Joseph. We're going to, for time's sake, we're going to skip that and jump on down to verse 25. It says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and uh, the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So again, Pharaoh, God, the living God, is speaking to you right now. He is showing you what he's about to do. You are a privileged ruler right now that God is even intervening in your life. But he's saying, hey, this, is, this isn't my own thoughts or ideas. This is, the, this is the Lord speaking to you. Verse 29, There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will, be, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. God is emphasizing it by giving you two dreams. And God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore... Let Pharaoh, he's about to boss Pharaoh around now, I love this. Now let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Maybe he fixes his tie. Right? A a discerning and wise man uh, with a nice clean haircut, you know. Maybe one just out of prison. No, I don't know that. Probably was. He might not even have been thinking about himself. Uh, Let him select a discerning wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them, let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine." Man, you just came up with that off the top of your head, Joseph? Like, that's a pretty good plan, buddy. Like, you sure uh, you didn't, you weren't planning this already? Or he's just off the top of his head, he's like, okay, here's what we need to do. He gets his pen out and he starts charting, gets the whiteboard out for Pharaoh. It's like one fifth, he's drawing his pie charts and everything. And of course, the Lord is directing him, right? The Lord is directing him to do this. But understand, guys, this administrative ability for Joseph, it didn't just magically appear overnight. God didn't just snap his fingers and all of a sudden he's like a mathematician and he's cranking out all these numbers. That's not how it happened. God had been preparing Joseph for this moment since he was a young boy. Since he was helping his father Jacob oversee the flocks. It reminds me of King David. When David 
maybe what, 12, 13, young teenager, stood before Goliath. It wasn't a coincidence that David used a sling and a stone. You realize David had hours and hours of practice with a sling and a stone. God had prepared David for that moment. The Apostle Paul. Paul didn't become a Christian and then all of a sudden he was like the whiz kid, supernaturally. God had been preparing Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees before he got saved. A student of the law like no one else. And so it wasn't a coincidence that God was able to use him to be the one who could reason Jesus Christ as the Savior from the Scriptures. God prepared him for that, and God prepared Joseph. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway in Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.